This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. back to Worth Recovery, a podcast featuring women and sex addiction. I'm Amy. I'm your host, and I'm a recovering sex addict. I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. Today is episode 41, and this is step four, it works when I work it, part two. So this is the continuation of our deep dive into the 12 steps of recovery, and our final episode on step four made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. We've spent four episodes really examining what step four is and what it means in our lives. Now, before we jump in, though, I wanted to share an experience I had this week, an engaged in the struggle experience. (laughs) The last few months have been challenging for me for a variety of reasons. One reason is that this month we have four significant family events. These events have meant that my entire immediate family, mother, brothers, sisters, sister-in-laws, nephews, nieces, have all been in the same place at the same time for more than just a few minutes. (laughs) In the past, this has been highly triggering for me and usually requires an extensive plan to keep me sober and sane. We've had some significant family drama over the last several months. I'm sure you have too, but we have, which has really left me dreading these events. Though by no means perfect, I am excited to report that I have navigated these family events better this time around than I have any others in recovery to date. Like I said, they weren't perfect. I still felt very unheard on some occasions, and others I felt really unseen, actually. Some interactions with siblings were better than others, and my mom still cried at one point, but... (laughs) I felt more authentic and more in control of my feelings than I have with my family for a while. Though there were some pulls to return to old family dynamics and behaviors, these pulls are so strong for me, stronger than I really want to admit sometimes, I made it through. I share this with you because I hope that it gives you hope. It does get better in recovery. It's not perfect, and it's not at all what I expected it to be with my family. And it got a whole lot worse with them before it got any better. But it does get better. What gets better, though, is myself. As I become more comfortable with who I am and the way I respond to things, my interactions with others become better. On an interview I saw with Brene Brown, on this was on Facebook. This was a little... Let me, maybe a little bit ago, like six or seven months, she put out a new series about boundaries. And she said something like this. Well, this is kind of my summary and interpretation of what she said. She said, when I have clear definitions of who I am, where I start, where I end, when I have boundaries in place and know and love myself, I can be much more compassionate, much more empathetic, and much more vulnerable with other people. I'm able to sit with them and make better decisions about how I respond to their behavior. I have definitely seen that in my own life, in my own recovery. I have seen that the more I understand myself, the more I know who I am, the more clear my boundaries, the better my relationships are with other people. I can sit and participate with them, with my family, for instance, where they are at. 
I don't have to take what they dish out. I don't have to pick up what they throw down. I can be empathetic without being enmeshed. And it doesn't take me days or weeks sometimes to recover from these encounters anymore. I love my family fiercely. I love each one of them. I firmly believe that they are doing the very best with the circumstances and knowledge that they have. I 100% believe that. And the more time I spend in recovery, the more I learn about myself, the better my relationships get with them. Not because they are changing, but because I am changing. And that is the only thing that I can control. I'm just super excited today to see my own progress in my recovery and my relationships. Sometimes we are so close to our own progress that we really can't see it. This is where recovery support friends, coaches, and sponsors come in. They can see the changes in us. They can help us see how things are different and how we're reacting differently. I feel like that is one of my big jobs as a recovery coach is to point out to my sisters where they are making progress when they can't see it. Keep at this recovery thing, guys. I know it takes years sometimes before you see significant progress. Hopefully it's not years, but it might be. For me, it's been years, a lot of years. Remember, recovery is at least a three to five year process. But I just want today to tell you that progress does happen. Progress does happen. Keep at it. Keep at it. Okay, let me share really quickly also some announcements before we dive in today. Our first Worth Recovery event, Engaged in the Struggle, is scheduled for Saturday, July 16th, 2016 in the Seattle, Washington area. I really, really hope you're going to join us and be there. The response has been tremendous, and I can't wait to meet all of you and spend time getting to know you. You've heard about our speakers. You know about our lineup. All of that information can be found on the website, worthrecovery.com. If you live in the Washington State area, I hope you're going to join us. We're expecting about 50 women there. Again, it's Saturday, July 16th. It's in the it's in Renton, Washington, which is the greater Seattle area. You can get online, worthrecovery.com, and learn more about the schedule and get registered. This is going to be an amazing event. This is really one of the first events of its kind focused on women and sex addiction. I hope you're going to join us. And if you don't live in Seattle or you're listening to this after the event on July 16th, don't worry. There are more events in the works. If you want to host an event or you want to see an event come to your area, let me know. Email me. It's amy, A-M-Y, at worthrecovery.com or get on the website, worthrecovery.com, and leave us a comment. I would love, love, love to hear from you. Next, I want to give a big shout out, of course, to our Worth Warriors. Thank you for your support. It's because of the Worth Warriors that we can keep this podcast free for all of you and all the women out there in sex addiction who are listening. It is highly important to me that when a woman in sex addiction reaches out, she has another woman to connect with. Too many of us find ourselves isolated and alone when we enter recovery. You can be part of providing that connection and voice by becoming a Worth Warrior. For as little as $4 a month, that's less than 50 cents an episode, you can support other women in recovery. The other thing you can do is to share this podcast. 
Do you have someone you think might benefit? Another woman or maybe another man in recovery? We have several male followers out there. I know I'm focused on women, but I know that there are men out there. So if you have someone you think would benefit from this podcast, share it with them. Help them find the support that they need. Help them by sharing maybe your favorite episode and tell them what it's done for your recovery. All of the information for both our upcoming event as well as the Worth Warriors can be found on the website worthrecovery.com. Okay, now today's topic. Let's do this. So this is episode 41 and is the final episode in our deep dive about step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. So a quick recap. In episode 35, we discussed the personal preparation needed to make such a moral inventory. We talked about the courage it takes to even be willing to attempt this step, and we talked about the honest way of life we must develop in order to move forward on this path. In episode 37, we talked about what exactly a moral inventory is. We talked about inventory in general, what it means, why we take it, and we discussed the three principles behind inventory and how they bless our lives and help us understand where we stand what needs to stay, what needs to go, and how we move our face forward towards the future. In episode 39, I talked you through the traditional AA method of working step four. The worksheets are available on the website, worthrecovery.com, and we talked about how to write the four lists AA recommends. What I want to do today is to give you some alternatives to this traditional method, or maybe some enhancements to this traditional method. If you know me, you know I'm a big fan of individualized recovery. Yes, there are basic principles that work for all addicts. These are guides and strategies that we can use across all addictions, no matter where we are, to help us in our recovery. There are principles that govern what we need to do to change and move forward. However, each of those principles needs to be applied to your life. And that is where the individualization process comes in. Last week, I described the basic principles behind how to work step four. But within those principles, the application varies by what your addiction is, who you are, and where you are at in your recovery. Now, fortunately, recovery literature across addictions and recovery methods give us several options on how to apply these principles in our lives and make them work for us. Today, I want to discuss some additional ways to work step four and some additional things you might incorporate into your work. While the AA method focuses on resentment, fear, sexual conduct, and harms done, other recovery literature in more recent years has expanded that view. While I work step four for the first time in the traditional manner of AA, I have found really, really great insights at looking at it from other angles as well. Now, because sex addiction is my main battle, I spent most of my early recovery studying sex addiction literature from the various S fellowships out there. Each program approaches the steps slightly differently and offers great insights about working this moral inventory in our lives. Now, some of my favorite thoughts about step four come from the Green Book of Sex Addicts Anonymous. Beginning on page 34, it offers this guidance on creating a moral inventory. Quote, a moral inventory can be described as a systematic examination of all the beliefs, feelings, and attitudes and actions that have shaped our lives from our 
earliest years. It is a careful survey of how we have responded to people, circumstances, and the world around us. An inventory allows us to go over our lives methodically and objectively, reevaluate assumptions, beliefs, and feelings that we have held on to for years, but perhaps never examined or questioned. In making this inventory, we take special care to identify those aspects of our character that have caused harm to ourselves and others, so as to bring them forward for healing and change in later steps. Close quote. What really rings true to me is the idea of systematically examining our beliefs, feelings, attitudes, and actions. Though fear and resentment have contributed to a lot of problems for me and have shaped my life, so have other feelings and attitudes. Some of the lists or feelings that SAA suggests that we look at are those of envy, loneliness, shame, or embarrassment. I love these ideas. Envy and jealousy are big feelings and attitudes that I have problems with in my life. The idea of creating a list of the people I have felt envious or jealous towards would be an additional way to examine myself. It could expose additional character defects and attitudes, maybe revealing more of my prideful and self-righteous nature. I also love the idea presented about reevaluating assumptions, beliefs, and feelings that we have held onto for years, but perhaps never examined or questioned. This is definitely something that I have done myself, and some of the women that I've worked with have had really great experiences with this. I recently worked with a woman who was sharing her step four inventory with me. She described an event that had happened in the past that she considered a harm done. As part of her list, she also included what she could have done instead. In this case, she was a young child and explored sexuality with some girls her age. It was a mutual exploration, but one she had felt really bad about, was really confusing and really shameful about, and she became really emotional when she was explaining it to me. In her list of what she could have done instead, she talked about talking to the adults in her life to get her questions answered rather than explore sex with other girls. Now, at the end of our experience together and our time together, I challenged her on that thought. Sure, in the ideal setting for a child, they would have a safe adult that they could go to and get any questions answered about anything in their lives, especially sex in their bodies. However, knowing about her childhood and family situation, I don't really believe that there was a safe adult in her life. She learned about things the only way she knew how and the only way that she that felt safe for her. As we talked about it, she became emotional again. She had never done as the book suggests, examine her assumptions or beliefs. She had a lot of shame about the event she described because she felt it was her fault. She had an assumption that it was her fault and she believed that she could have done something different. She had a lot of shame about the event that she described, but had not allowed herself any self-compassion based on the circumstances around her. She did the very best that she could and felt she had come up short. That wasn't the case at all. Allowing ourselves to examine these assumptions about ourselves through exploring different lists allows us to see ourselves rightly. And that is one of the main principles behind step four, learning to see ourselves rightly. The Green Book continues on page 35, quote, There is no single format that is used by all members in their inventories. We work closely with our sponsor to discover what kind of writing we need to do and what form of inventory is most effective for us. 
The common element is that we write about a number of aspects of our lives that, when put together, give us an honest picture of ourselves, including our shortcomings. Our inventory is searching because we try to examine ourselves as thoroughly and painstaking as possible. It is fearless because we don't let our fear stop us from digging deeper. It is moral because it concerns our values and the consequences of our actions for others and ourselves. Close quote. Searching and fearless. That is what that is what is most important about the inventory, not the format or the amount or the number of lists or how many pages it is. This line is what I love. The common elements is that we write about a number of aspects of our lives when put together give us an honest picture of ourselves, including our shortcomings. There is no right or wrong way to do this unless you just don't do it. For sure, the format is not what's important. Again, it's about being searching and fearless to see ourselves rightly. Okay, now the Sexaholics Anonymous White Book offers a slightly different approach on how to write an inventory. This is on page 109. Quote, one way to go about it is to take up one at a time any person or incident we have bad feelings about. Describing the feelings we had at the time and examining them, we then ask ourselves what we did wrong or how our attitude was wrong, close quote. Now, this is a slightly different approach. Instead of focusing on a particular feeling like fear or attitude, and then we list everyone or everything that we're afraid of, like the AA book suggests, we do it the opposite way. We take up one person or one incident at a time, and we describe all of the feelings and attitudes that we felt with that person or in that incident. This could include both good and bad feelings and attitudes. In a meeting once, I remember listening to a man describe how he had used this method when writing his fourth step. He started with each family member, his mom, for instance. He put her name at the top of the page, and then he listed specific incidents where he had negatively contributed to their relationship. I loved that idea. Specific incidents where he had negatively contributed to their relationship. Maybe an angry outburst, a resentful comment, lies he had told. He listed these incidents and attitudes on one side, and then on the other side, he wrote what he could have done instead, like he had two columns. I used a similar approach when I was working through the grief after my dad passed. I took it one step further, and on the back of the paper, I listed all the ways my dad had positively contributed to my life. Both inventories really helped me work out our relationship in my mind and in my heart. What I love best about this approach is that it really helps when you're reworking the fourth step or you're working it around a specific person or a specific incident that is still giving you trouble. I've done this approach where I pick one particular person and I look at all of my pieces in the relationship as I've had to rework step four around a particular person that might be giving me some problems or that I'm harboring some resentment for. Working this, this is a great approach to reworking step four about specific people. Again, the format is not what is important here. Whether you focus on the feeling or the attitude or you focus on one person or event at a time, what is important is that you are searching and fearless in your approach. It's important that it works for you. Your goal here is to look at yourself rightly, to acknowledge your part in the story of your life. There is more to you than just the negative ways that you have contributed to the world around you as well, though. As addicts, we need to focus on the negative things that addiction does in our lives. 
That is a strategy we use to break through denial and to get us living on earth again and out of the fantasy land that we create for ourselves to justify our addictive behavior. However, if we are going to look at ourselves rightly, we need to see our strengths as well. In the last year, I've expanded my study of recovery literature to include other addiction fellowships. One of my favorites is the NA, Narcotics Anonymous literature. I am in love with this literature and especially their step guides and the questions that they ask to help you reflect on yourself. The fourth step list in the NA step guide suggests the following ideas for their lists. Resentments, feelings, guilt, shame, fear, relationships, sex, abuse, secrets, and assets. I love those last two lists, secrets and assets, because we are more than just the negative things that we've done in recovery. But first, let's quickly talk about secrets. I've talked before about how much of a liar I was in addiction. Secrets to me are anything I'm keeping secret, but also anything I've lied about. Seriously, I lied about so much all the time, about stupid things. I was keeping secret the lying that I was doing. Though I included much of my lying in my harms done list the first time around, I have found it particularly helpful to look at my lying on its own as a separate list. In doing this, I found out that I lie a lot. A lot more than I originally thought and a lot more than I was originally feeling guilty about. I was thinking if it didn't harm anyone, how bad could it have been? In looking at my list of secrets, I realized just how deep this problem was. And I realized how much harm I was causing myself by lying and particularly the lack of self-worth that the lying was hiding. I lie because I don't feel good enough or smart enough or anything enough. I just don't feel enough. Looking at my list of lying really helped me examine things about myself that my other list didn't. So I really suggest that you look at your secrets list or your lying list, however that applies to you. But most importantly in in that list from NA, I love the last one, the assets list. This last list in the NA step guide suggests is the list of assets. Our personal list of valuable things in our personality and character and makeup. I love, love, love that it asks us to do this. If we're going to look at ourselves rightly, we need to acknowledge the positive things about ourselves as well. Returning to the SAA Green Book, page 36 gives us this advice to back that up. Quote, a moral inventory wouldn't be complete without some acknowledgement of our positive aspects. We list the ways we have acted in a self-loving manner. We may write about the friendships we have nurtured and the people we have helped. We list the things we are genuinely proud of, such as healthy accomplishments that we worked hard to achieve. We write about our love, faith, and gratitude. We give ourselves credit for the success we have had in turning our addiction over to our higher power. Close quote. If we are truly to look at ourselves rightly, we must look at both the bad and the good. Looking at the positive aspects of our lives, as suggested, helps us complete the picture. It also helps us evaluate the assets we have going forward. We are going to need to bring the good parts of ourselves through recovery with us while we are working at changing the addictive behaviors and patterns we find in ourselves. Now, the NA Step Guide also offers a quick caution while working this step. Quote, The fourth step asks us to take an inventory of ourselves, not of other people. 
Yet, when we begin writing and looking at our resentments, fears, behaviors, beliefs, and secrets, we find that most of these are connected to another person, or sometimes to an organization or institution. It's important to understand that while we are free to write whatever we need to write about others, we do it as long as it leads us to finding our part in the situation, close quote. I'm going to repeat that last line. It's important to understand that while we are free to write whatever we need to about others, we do this as long as it leads us to, to finding our part in the situation. This was hard for me, guys. I wanted so badly to take the inventory of others. I wanted to sit in the victim chair and scream, look what you did to me and the wreckage it caused in my life. It took careful coaching by my therapist and my sponsor to help me get out of that space and to start really examining my part. But it was definitely worth it. Do all that you can to focus on yourself, your part, your feelings, your actions. Now these are just some ideas on how you can enhance or work your step four and apply that in a way to your life that works for you. Now the payoff for completing step four can be immense. Though scary at first and definitely triggering and difficult, the fourth step for me was a gate to freedom. Freedom from my past, freedom from my old way of life. It is the last step that you complete that really focuses on the past, on how I lived while I was in addiction. I think the essay white book sums it up perfectly on page 110 when it says, quote, there's another reason why the inventory is a must. How can we ever experience forgiveness and freedom from our wrongs unless we bring them out? Getting our secrets out into the open is one of the first concrete demonstrations that we want to change and starts an ongoing process that will continue to bear good fruit. Recovery and healing await us when we open this door to the miracle of spiritual union with ourselves and others, and without even realizing it, union with the source of our lives. Close quote. I found that to be true. I found that as soon as I had written down all of the things that I had done, as soon as I had in black and white in front of me, I felt more unified within myself. I felt union with who I was, with what I had done, and I felt the ability to let it go. And that was one of the biggest blessings that came into my life from working step four. I hope you have found this dive into step four helpful. What would you like to know more about? What would you like to hear more about with step four? Email me or leave a comment on the website worthrecovery.com. Check it out, by the way. I just rebuilt the whole website. I'm kind of in love with it. So I'd love to hear your opinion. Ladies, as always, I hope you remember that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how you feel in this very moment, worthy or unworthy, you are worth recovery. 100% worth that. I know it. Keep up the fight. Don't forget, you can support Worth Recovery by being a Worth Warrior. If this podcast has helped you even a little bit today, if you think it's worth 50 cents, get online and join the movement. All the details are on the website, worthrecovery.com. Please remember that I think about you, I pray for you, I love you. Until next time, Amy.
legal stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.